Hello listeners, this is Dan. Before we get started, you need to know about an event that is coming up this week. The first annual Women in STEAM Congress, part of the Project Fibonacci Foundation's Livestream series, held in conjunction with Utica College and Women Ties. This is a one-day professional development event for young women and girls in high school and college, featuring opening remarks by Dr. Laura Casamento, the first woman to be president of Utica College, icebreakers designed to help the young women to lean in, a women in entrepreneurship panel moderated by WKTV News Channel 2's meteorologist Jill Reel, a networking event with over 20 women-owned business and industry leaders, and an address by today's Steamcast guest, Tracy Chamberlain Higginbotham. This event is made possible through the generous support of Artronics, Community Bank, Adirondack Bank, and Ms. Deborah Rehart and Hill Storage and Rigging, with media sponsorship provided by WKTV News Channel 2. For more information, go to projectfibonacci.org. When you're fearless, you're free. And that's really true. And I was nervous that I could never run. In a marathon, I was a general two, three-mile-a-day runner. Did you finish it? I did finish it. Congratulations. I have my medal somewhere in the room over there. And it was fantastic. And it's a memory I will cherish forever. Welcome to Steamcast, where STEM and the arts collide. I'm your host, Dan Costellic. And together we're going to have conversations with the brightest lights and rising stars in the fields of science, technology, engineering, the arts, and math. Exploring the world that we live in, the science that makes it all possible, and the art that makes it interesting. This is episode 11, the third part of our Women's History Month series, featuring a conversation with entrepreneur and women's equality motivational speaker, Tracy Chamberlain Higginbotham. Tracy is the founder of Women Ties, an entrepreneurial support network that helps to inspire women in entrepreneurial roles and works to correct the gender pay disparity in business and in sports. If you're listening to this episode before March 28th, 2019, Tracy will be the keynote speaker at the first annual Project Fibonacci Women in STEAM Congress, held in conjunction with Utica College and Women Ties. Our conversation, appropriately enough, focuses largely on those two aspects, using running as a larger metaphor for goal setting and how having more women as entrepreneurs can help to close the gender pay gap. Women Ties, what is the mission of Women Ties? Women Ties mission is to promote, publicize, and unite women entrepreneurs, hoping to give them the opportunity to market and increase their exposure and opportunity to increase um, revenue for their companies, which will help uh, eradicate pay inequality, which is a, p- a very big part of why I started Women Ties. So would it be safe to say it's almost like a women-centric chamber of commerce? Very Yes, very much so. Like that uh, can be like a PR company for women entrepreneurs, but a women's only chamber of commerce is a great way to think of it. And you've been doing that for how long now? Women Ties just celebrated its 14th anniversary on March 3rd. Congratulations. Thank you. But I have been personally a woman entrepreneur since um, 1995. And from that time forward, I have always supported women entrepreneurs here locally. So does it have a March birthday because of Women's History Month? It certainly does. Yes. Love Women's History Month. So do you have a favorite woman entrepreneur, just a female figure of history that you like to point out as someone to aspire to be like, someone to strive to emulate during Women's History Month? 
I do. And she is actually a 72-year-old woman. Her name's Catherine Switzer. And she, in 1967, was the first female to officially enter and run the Boston Marathon when women were not allowed to be in the race. And some people may have seen her image um, or heard her story, but she was, uh, the race director was not happy. There was a dame, as he called her, in his race. And he tried to push her out of the race and rip off her bib. She grabbed onto her bib. There's, she still has a part of it with a little tear in the corner. And she ended up finishing that race and they disqualified her because she was a female. So this was 1967, not that long ago. So they let her enter the race. They didn't know she was a female because she always went by the initials KV Switzer as because she wanted to be in communications and a lot of female authors used their initials. JK Rowling is a great example. Exactly. And there was nowhere on the paperwork at that point in time that said women couldn't run. So she was actually running um, with the SU men's cross-country team, not as a member, but in because she wanted to run. There wasn't a women's team at the time. And she had a male mentor who always ran in the Boston Marathon who sort of talked about it every time they ran. And so she said, you know what? I want to go run that Boston Marathon with you. And that's why she got there uh, and actually entered it. I'm sorry, and this was in what year? 1967. 67. So when did Title IX happen? That was 1972. Oh, all right. So So a little before. And what happened with Catherine, a wonderful example of somebody who took kind of a a moment in history, Um, that photo of her being pushed out by the race director is one of America's top 100 iconic photos. Sure. And she went on to actually bring running to... The Globe for Women. She was instrumental in, along with a couple other women that she ran with, getting the marathon in the Olympics for women because people did not believe that women could run. They thought that, she says this, that her, their uterus would fall out. Oh my God. <laughs> and she's like, well, I'm just as tough and, and, you know, I can, women can do distance. In fact, women, she has gone on to say, really actually excel at long distance running. And now there's, I think maybe more men than women that run across the globe. So she is my um, You mean more women that run than men? Yes, I'm sorry. More women than men that run because it really is a sport that suits them very well. Well, would it be safe to say then if it weren't for Catherine Switzer, for KV Switzer, and those are good initials. She should never have stopped that. Right. That's just <laughs> phenomenal putting that out there 50 years later. Yes. If it weren't for her, Jackie Joyner-Kersey wouldn't have been the most known runner in the United States for a while. Correct. There are women that have gone before us in, in many, many industries that have, have taken an opportunity in something that was very challenging and has turned it into opportunity for other women. And I met Catherine by fate in 2015. I was looking for a speaker for one of my big events. We met, we connected on the phone in terms of how we felt about women being equal to men. And she invited me to get involved with her new global organization, 261fearless.org. And I ended up running in the 2017 Boston Marathon as she ran in it as her 50th anniversary. That's fantastic. Along with 125 other women. How and, many is and that was the total number of women in that marathon or no, just for that her was group? that was just for her group. One hundred and twenty five of us raised enough money um, to help get two six one fearless dot org off the ground and to be there to see her 
50 years later with this gender barrier breaking moment. Don't hit your table. <laughs> We're at your kitchen table and it's a beautiful kitchen table, but don't hit it because oh, we hear it. Everyone else, that's fine. It's, <laughs> I like you so much. <laughs> <laughs> the Italian uses her hands a lot. And then when I get excited, I use them more. <laughs> Yes, you. The more you were talking about uh, Catherine Switzer, the more the hands were going and hitting that table. <laughs> so I thank her for giving me the. Um, she always said she was so scared during that opportunity. She was a twenty-year-old woman who was being pushed out of the streets by a fifty-year-old man, and that's a real good show of manliness right there. Let's push the young lady out of the race. Yes, right. And she said, you know, when you're fearless, you're free, and that's really true. And I was nervous that I could never run in a marathon. I was a general two, three mile a day runner. Did you finish it? I did finish it. Congratulations. I have my medal somewhere in the room over there. And it was fantastic. And it's a memory I will cherish forever because the best memory was as you're coming up what's called Heartbreak Hill. It's about mile 20, 20, 21 out of 26.2. I stopped for a minute to walk up the hill because I had a walk run. I couldn't, I couldn't run the whole thing by mm-hmm. myself. And there was a blind woman with her coach to the left of me and a man with blade feet and his coach to the right of me. What's blade feet? I'm sorry. Um, uh, he has no feet. The blades that runners oh, use. Oh, to, oh, I know what you when mean. When they don't have any feet. And to, so I looked to my right, I looked to my left, and I went, oh, my God, this is amazing to see. And if they can run and finish this marathon – I can finish this marathon. And I did with, uh, you had to run it within six hours to get the medal. And I completed it in five hours, 58 minutes, and like 53 seconds. <laughs> no time to spare. There was no time to spare, but I, I took it in because there were so many women that said, take it in. And Catherine finished it an hour before I did at the age of 70. I think she was 70 that year. That's so, insane. She is definitely one of my heroines. She's done a lot to change the world. If you had come in at 6.01, just more on that marathon. Right. If you had come in at six hours and one minute, would they have withheld I that? I don't medal? know. Maybe Catherine could have gotten some medals. Because I knew there's some <laughs> women on our team that didn't finish the six hours. But I was determined. I had my uh, my rosary beads on. And I think by the end, I was a little sideways saying my Hail Marys to get me <laughs> over the line. <laughs> But I did it. <laughs> you did it. And that is the important thing. Yeah. You set your goal. You right. saw it through. Yeah. And if I may be so bold, that's a lot of what Women Ties is about. Right. Right. There was a lot that I learned in training for a marathon that really goes into running um, a business. A lot of it with goal setting. Because we may say, well, I want to earn you know, 100000 in sales this year. Well, that's great. You can say I want to earn 100000 in sales, but how are you going to get to it? Yes. How are you going to take the steps that you need to get to 100000 You can't go from making, say, 30000 or 40000 in sales when you're in just jump up to 100000 just because you want to. You need to take the action steps and it, the mentoring that you need and understand what it takes to do it in order to accomplish it. And I, even though I was a runner, had no idea that I could do it until I kept pushing myself one mile after a mile. And with the help of a trainer knew I needed nutrition to get me through 26.2 miles. You can't just do it without fueling yourself. So like business, you need the advice of other women or men um, to give you the information you need to be successful. Absolutely. 
And the marathon is a beautiful analogy for getting through life. It's not a sprint. It is not. It is not a sprint. <laughs> it's it's not something you can train up for just a little bit and run as hard right. as you can and then stop. You have to keep going after it, right. mile after mile, as you said. And that's what they say. In order, you know, what people say, well, how could you go from running three miles one week to eventually running 26.2 miles at some point? And I said, because they have long runs on Sundays. So you know that at some point you're gonna be running nine miles, you're gonna run the eight miles the week before then seven, you build up to it, there's momentum. And when you've accomplished one of those goals, you know you can do the next, because it's just a mile more. So was it then about a half a year training? It was about six months of training, yes. And a secret is, and I'm very kind of proud of myself for this, is. I got sick with bronchitis as I was training for it, so I never ran past a half marathon mileage leading up to the day I entered Boston. You're kidding me. You no. only did the 13, too. I had only done that. Yep. And so people went, how are you going to do it? And I said, well, I'm going to do it. It's I'm, I'm not, not going to do it. I mean, I figure if I can do a half marathon, I can do a marathon. And I was determined, and people had given me $8,000. I donated $8,000 to my charity, which was 261 Fearless, for me to get the bid because I didn't have the qualifying times. And so you can raise money for anybody who's out there listening. If you want to be a marathoner and you don't have the times to get into one of the big marathons, you can raise money for a charity in order to get a charity bid. And then you run with the charity runners in the back I have seen those before, but I had never understood it. Yes. So every organization has different um, uh, monetary amounts that you have to raise. So I think here locally, maybe one of the breast cancer organizations, it's about $3,000 to raise. Non-insurmountable. Right. And so Boston is known for being one of the most generous of the charity, of the marathons, because of how many charity organizations they let get bibs in order for that for the organizations to have fundraisers that are then going to run for the with the with the bibs. That is phenomenal. So you yourself can set a goal <clears throat> and run a marathon. I <laughs> I am considering it. I am running my very first race, my very first run in 3 weeks to the day from when we're recording this. Okay. On April 5th. Awesome. Where is that? It's going to be at Disney World. <laughs> oh, that would be a fun one though. I've heard of people that have run that yeah, one. Yeah, the, there's several throughout the year. There's the Dopey Run back in January. Okay. This one is the Star Wars Rivals Run. <laughs> so there is a 5K on sure, Friday, yep. there's a 10K on yep. Saturday and a half marathon on Sunday. Yes. I am not doing the 10K or the uh, half marathon. <laughs> the 10K was sold out, so I'm like, oh. It's a great distance. It's like, around. all right, I don't need to worry about that. Right. I used to run that distance in high school, but yeah. I'm 20 years removed from that right. now. <laughs> and I like to run. It was just, I, I don't think I could do a, a half marathon right, right now. Let's stick with the 5K. So the 10K was sold out. That made my decision for me. Yes. <laughs> well, you know what happens? It's interesting. When I first met Catherine, she invited me to go to New York. It was around the time of the New York City Marathon in 2015. Mm-hmm. And she had rented a brownstone and had invited 13 women from around the globe to meet with her to talk about launching 261fearless.org. And... Um, 
when the first night that we all met, we were sitting around the table. Every woman was going through their marathon stories. The woman across from me had just run in Antarctica. Antarctica. There's and an I looked at Antarctic her. marathon? Yes, there is a marathon where you run the five continents within a year. Oh, that's kind of amazing. So I looked at her. So here's me. I'm just, you know, an average three-mile-a-day runner. I'm not a marathoner. I'm not going to run in Antarctica. And I'm thinking, what am I doing here? <laughs> I knew why I was there, because they wanted to spread the message about 261 Fearless. But it wasn't until 2017 when I saw the invite for the Boston Marathon that I said, I can do that. And I didn't know that I haven't thought about it until I went back in my memory and remembered that 2015 conversation. There were other women that inspired me internally, along with Catherine, to want to do it. And that's similar in business, too. I think what I try to do with Women Ties is to get experienced women in front of, you know, other experienced women, because everybody has success strategies that have worked for them. And if there's something about women entrepreneurs different than women in corporate America, is that women entrepreneurs really are not competitive in nature. They want the best for their female sister entrepreneurs. So if they can share hardships and successes, they're happy to do that. So, you know, similar to, they, women love being inspired. And I think that that's why women come to events like this one, because they want to hear from other women on how to be successful within a specific industry. I would argue also that men like to be inspired as well. However, we keep getting told directly or indirectly, mm -hmm. you have it in yourself, you don't need it, anybody right. else to inspire right. you. And it's not until we get to the events yes. that we then say, we needed that. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, maybe you should start men ties then. <laughs> <laughs> Except you'll get a lot of people searching your website for men in ties. Like I get you know, women bow ties. I should have probably made tons of money by now. I love I wearing bow ties. It's a Friday, so I'm not wearing one right. right now. But bow ties are my thing. I will happily do this with you. We should start a business right now. Just call it bow ties. Right. <laughs> ties is all in caps. Yes. And we'll figure it out. Yep, exactly. So tell us what ties stands for in women ties. So ties stands for women together inspiring entrepreneurial success. So a lot of people just call it ties, but it is women ties. Uh, but it's really about, I wanted the words inspiring in there because of how I feel that women like to be inspired by other women. Success had to be in there. I mean, it's, it's, it's something you strive for when you're in business or within your career anyways. And the together is because women do like working and being together and sharing things together. Um, and did I hit on inspiring? Inspiring is just my favorite word. Um, so that's where it came from. I like the big T because I'm my name's Tracy. So <laughs> from a branding marketing standpoint, I, I Tracy love inspiring entrepreneurial <laughs> success. Exactly. <laughs> a lot of people know me very much as a a feminist in terms of how I feel about women doing business. I say to women, until there is a pay equality law that is passed women do not earn the same as men do. No. And so I encourage women, if they do not have a, a male vendor or a vendor already established, that they put their money in the hands, the bank accounts, the PayPal accounts of women-owned businesses first and foremost in order to help women earn more money until there is a law like that passed. Because if women can't support money, if women, if women can't support women financially, 
you know, who's going to support us? And so I'm known for being very feministic in my business approach um, to life, really, and known for that. So let's talk about that. The pay gap. Mm-hmm. The Lilly Ledbetter Act back mm-hmm. in 2009, I want to say, oh. maybe 2010, that Obama signed. Mm-hmm. What did that actually accomplish? You know, it accomplished a a law that is is on the is on the books, but I think where the difficulty lies is how other individuals share their salaries um, with others. I don't think that it's something that where salaries are shared. Um, as much as it needs to be shared in order for women to know if they are or are not getting paid equal to men. I know for me, I know what my husband makes. I think I know what my one sister makes, but it's not something that you go around talking about. Well, how much do you make? And Unless you're you... famous. Right, <laughs> unless you're famous. <laughs> and then I'm like, hey, you give that money to a lot of uh, uh, this, you know other people. So they still need to work on that part of it. Um I'm going to give you uh, just a quick story, sort of going off topic, but it's relative in a sense to this. I have a very good friend who is in a, she's a principal of an engineering company. There are four men and her. And being the only female within the engineering company, she has sometimes unique um, situations being the only female. They were looking for a junior or new partner. And both um, a female and a male came in. It wasn't a partner. It was a position, an open position. They interviewed. They had the same credentials. They had the same background. There really was nothing different. She told me over lunch that because the male asked for more money, they gave him more money. And I said to her, are you kidding me? You didn't give the female then the same amount of money? And she said, no, she didn't ask. I said, oh, come on, that is crazy. You're hiring them at the exact same period of time. You're telling me their credentials are similar. And yet, just because she didn't ask is why she's not making the same amount as the gentleman? And she said, yes. And I said, well, I'm disappointed in you. (laughs) And she's one of my good friends. But, you know, it's one of the things that I talk to college-age students about and will definitely put in part of my speech with the Congress event is that, Women have to know their worth. They yes. have to ask for it. I'm just kind of flabbergasted about that. I It has never left my mind since she said that, and she's one of my good friends. So, um, And it's purely because he asked. he asked. So not even for a shady reason. It's just, hey, I, so it might have been, I have kids. I have a house. Can I get a little more money? Right. Right. Oh, my goodness. So that's what, you know, so when you say that you have page or pay uh, quality laws, I don't know who can prove who is making what if there's not some kind of open disclosure or, you know, it's it's really up to women to push as hard as they can. They have to know what the what the rate is for the yes. positions they're applying for. And they have to be their own best advocates when they're talking about salary increases. They can't be scared to do that. They have to ask. Oh, goodness. So where do you think that comes from, being scared to ask? Well, we find it with women business owners. I can say I absolutely have downgraded the amount of money that I've asked for in business contracts because I got nervous I was asking for too much money. Mm-hmm. As a man, I've also been there with, yes. with that. 
I've said, here's the rate. Unless that doesn't work. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but why do women do that more often than men? You know, I think it's a societal of um, issue. I think it's an upbringing issue. It's also part of what makes women... Women tick because they want to give. They've been caregivers. They're, they're, they love giving to their friends and to their family. And so when it comes to business, they think, well, you know what? I love my clients. I'm going to give them a good deal. And, and that's okay until at some point they realize that is this job more a hobby than it is a career based on what they're getting paid and what they're not getting paid. Then they have to figure out how to become stronger at setting their price and asking for their price. When that happened to me, I went immediately to a woman that I had within Women Ties who was a sales consultant. And I, had, I paid for her to walk me through and counsel me on how to be stronger asking for my price and being consistent in sales. So I think it's something that we're just not conditioned to to want to ask we'd rather help people well you can't when you're in business at no some point, you can't you got to get your price you do until we move into a post scarcity post need right. post want society like in exactly. star trek right <laughs> we're all gonna need to get our price here exactly so i think that that act put started the conversation i think it helped in some industries, but there's more that needs to be done to make sure that women are being paid equal to men. And if you look in sports, because I do a lot with women in sports, they talk about the same exact thing, that there's pay inequality. I mean, Amy Wambach, who's the so soccer star, you know, when they the women's team won, I think, the same championship that the men did, they mm -hmm. got less money. Yes. And my son will say to me, because he's a sports guy, he's like, but mom, it's because they have less advertisers. And I'll say, well... Why is that? <clears throat> I think the... No, I mean, I, mean, yes, I was going to say, that's right. the, oh, yes. that should be the question. Right. Why is that? Right. It's not because of a lesser quality of the game. Exactly. And I need to point out, um, in terms of the national teams, the women may have fewer advertisers, but they have more championships. Yes. They have gone to the World Cup more than the men have. They've gone to the Olympics more than the men have. Yes. And can you name a single moment of the men's national team in the last 20 years? No, I can't. <laughs> All right. Can you name a moment of the women's national team in the last 20 years? I can. When they won, well, I remember when they won the championship and they had the parade in New York City because I wanted to go to it. Mm -hmm. But I can also, and I can't remember the girl's name that took her shirt off. Brandy Chastain. There we go. Had her, had the bra and all of a sudden everybody's like, oh my God, it's horrible. Well, it's, it's. It's she not. was wearing more clothes than if she was on the beach. I know. I mean, so that's where, you know, how, I think both areas of my profession where I have passion, helping women make more money and also women in sports getting more recognition, mm -hmm. um, that it's, there are big changes. It, it takes a long time. It's a generational it issue. It just is. So you've got to be able to do the work. Similar kind of to Catherine Switzer's thing. You've got to have the passion. And eventually, maybe over your lifetime, you see some of those changes taking place. So that's how it is with pay equality. And that's how it is, too, with women in sports, which are very similar for women in business when it comes to inequality issues. So beyond entrepreneurship mm -hmm. and getting some getting some uh, transparency laws, glass window laws, mm -hmm. and I'm yes. not sure what you want to call them. Right. So we know what everybody's making. Yes. 
what are some other ways we can ensure pay equality? Mm. Or are those the two main things? I think that to me those are the the two main things. I spoke to um, New York State's labor, the head of the labor department a couple years ago because they wanted to hear from women within organizations about this, this topic. And I spoke from the fact that women entrepreneurs, you would think that we should be able to set whatever price we want. Sure. But in fact, we do kind of follow what our corporate sisters do and what society has always done. So I said to them, until there's a law, even women entrepreneurs are not going to um, set the prices the way that they should be setting them because it's been the same mindset for so long. Yes. I, I think the biggest thing are women advocating for themselves and also... Um, shoring up their confidence level to be able to do it. I know some women who within the entrepreneurial world have said, take whatever figure it is that you made last year, add another zero to it, or or pay rate maybe it was, and that's what you got to start asking for. You've got to start doing it no matter what, whether you kind of believe it or not, until you're confident enough that that's the rate that you're getting. I would completely agree with that. So I don't know in the corporate world because I've been out of the corporate world for so long um, and more in the entrepreneurial world if there's anything else that really can be done um, except for having men, male managers and female managers understanding truly what happens um, in inequality cases. Even as you go down the road, like how less they're going to they're gonna make over their lifespan and contribute to the household, which then contributes to how much they can spend within the community. Yeah. It's got a ripple effect. It really does. Every what what's the one stat that gets floated around every dollar gets respent in the community uh, seven times? I think so, yes. So if you have let's say seven less dollars than I do right. going into it, mm-hmm. then each of those dollars are going to also not be spent. Right. And it affects everybody. It affects the kid at the grocery store bagging your groceries. Mm-hmm. It affects the person you want to buy a car from eventually. Right, exactly. I'll tell you a very funny story, whether you want to keep this in our interview or not, but there was, um, and it probably was a couple years ago as well, um, uh, oh my gosh, Patricia Arquette um, received the Oscar for, I don't remember what it was exactly, but the point was I paid more attention to her speech, and she accepted of it only by speaking about how Hollywood needed to start paying the female actresses. I remember. I will drop that audio into Okay, this. great, because to every woman who gave birth to every taxpayer and citizen of this nation, we have fought for everybody else's equal rights. It's our time to have wage equality once and for all and equal rights for women in the United States of America. What happened is my husband and son were on one couch and I was on another. And when she spoke that, those words, I jumped off the couch at the same moment that Jennifer Lopez and um, I think it was Meryl Streep jumped out of their chairs to applaud her. And I'm like, that's what I'm talking about as my husband and son looked at me like I was strange. And my son said, Mom, women are equal in today's world. Do you know it? And I said, oh, honey. I love you, but you're really kind of cheap. And let me put it in terms that you're going to understand. Someday when you get married 
and you marry maybe another physician assistant because that's what he is, and she makes less money just because she's a female, you're going to understand that there are dollars that are missing in your joint, your joint revenue only because she's a female. That is when you're going to understand what it means to have pay inequality. On that, there are jobs that, because they are primarily done by women, mm -hmm. make less, including high-end professional-level jobs. My wife is a clinical mental health counselor. Okay. She has a master's degree in this. Mm -hmm. She is making $35,000 a year. Mm, right. And I do not, full disclosure, mm -hmm. have a college degree. I'm working on one right, right. now. I'm finally going back Good. as I approach my 40s. I make... I don't actually know how much I make. <laughs> she, make she does the taxes. Right. Um, she, I make I make more than her. I'll make more than her. At with no degree. Yeah. And that is not that is nowhere near parity. Right. She is and and if we were doing the exact if we were in the exact same field purely based on her having an advanced degree, right. my way of thinking is well she needs at least a couple of dollars extra to pay right. off that crazy right. level of debt. Right. Exactly. But it's not the case. Yeah, I don't know if it starts at the top and it's the mindset of the corporation. Um, you know, because a lot of my sisters are in education. And so I know what you're speaking about because the more masters and higher educational degrees mm -hmm. or certificates they have, the more money they can make. Sure. It doesn't seem to relate in the business world as much as it does in the educational field from what, I, from what I've seen just in my personal experiences. Um, so in, in companies where I feel that I know women are getting paid a good amount, I think it starts at the top and they have a boss that understands the importance of that. So there needs to be schooling or guidance, I guess, on the topic with men and women at the higher levels um, or even with human resource managers. I don't know enough, again, because I've been out of the corporate world, if they have, if they're the ones with the ability to make that decision. Karen, get on that. <laughs> It's always someone named Karen. Right. <laughs> you know it's true. <laughs> so again, it's a big one. And if you're not out protesting about it and making noise about it and doing something about it, how is it going to get changed? You know, so that's part of why I love with my company and what I can do is I can speak very openly about what I believe strongly in. I took 110 women to the Women's March in Washington in 2017. Oh, wow. And, and that was because I just wanted, I wanted to be with the other world of women and men that were there. There were a lot of men there that just said, you know what? Women do count. We do deserve equality. We, we can't go away. We make up 52% of the population. So therefore, we need to have equality in many different areas and ways. And we need to have laws that let us make decisions for ourselves as well. So that was a great experience. That was a wonderful event. It was just phenomenal, the spirit of the people that were there. That is terrific. So yeah. this podcast is largely, or at least nominally, about <laughs> the intersection between STEM mm -hmm. and the arts. Yes. We're in the middle of Women's History Month. Mm -hmm. Is there one particular woman you think truly Full exemplifies a life in STEM or a life in the arts or both? Somebody that other people know? Or, yeah, sure. Or Someone, people that they don't know? 
I will accept <laughs> either answer. Okay. Both are great. Well, I'm going to have to use my mother, especially because it is her birthday today. Happy birthday <laughs> in the past, because th- this is now in the future. Yes. <laughs> well, she was a physical education um, teacher and coach, along with my father. And uh, later in her career, she became, uh, she was always a ballet dancer and taught the arts, and she created her own um, art performing company for children called Koros that would teach hearing and hearing impaired to do theater plays together. Oh, that's phenomenal. And so there was sign language and the kids designed the whole, the artwork and it was really bringing together these two communities to really understand that both belong in the world. And she would take a popular play like Alice in Wonderland and rewrite it Alice in Deaf Wonderland and there would be different you know there was concepts to the play that sort of touched on hearing and hearing impaired and she has always been very instrumental to my thinking of how a woman can make a difference again within her own way um, in the given talents that she has that she was given so at our table uh, being from Rome New York at our table, we would have um, deaf students, we would have hearing students, we would have priests, we would have gay artists, we would have athletes. Our table was open for everyone, no matter who they were. And that's where I really learned to become a person who thought that it didn't matter what specific career you were in, um, that equality kind of went across the board and that all people are good no matter who they are. So I appreciate the fact that she had such a blend of different individuals in the arts and without that came to our table and taught me that very important lesson. That's phenomenal. Tracy Chamberlain Higginbotham is the founder of Women Ties, Tracy inspiring (laughs) entrepreneurial success. She's also a motivational speaker. You can find her at womenties.com or tracyhigginbotham.com That wraps up today's conversation on Steamcast. I'd like to thank Tracy Chamberlain Higginbotham for joining me today. You can learn more about her work by visiting womenties.com or tracyhigginbotham.com Steamcast is a production of the Project Fibonacci Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit educational organization whose mission is to introduce our youth to a culture of interdisciplinary STEAM learning teaching them to become creative, independent leaders of community resurgence. You can learn more by going to projectfibonacci.org. Steamcast was written, produced, and hosted by me, Dan Kostelik. You can follow me on Twitter at Dan Kostelik. Technical support is by Andrew Berger. The music in the show is by the Live and Breathe from the album Reet. You can find it on iTunes or wherever you listen to music. Please subscribe and rate the show five stars on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And also follow us on Twitter and Facebook. On Facebook, we can be found at facebook.com slash Project Fibonacci. And on Twitter, we are at Pro Fibonacci. That's P-R-O-F-I-B-O-N-A-C-C-I. Thanks for listening. Keep moving forward. Full steam ahead.